Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, presented by Macy Sports. And we're back for some Vancouver Whitecaps soccer. First episode of 2023. I guess technically, you can officially call this the season four premiere of the Third Sub. We're back for another season of Whitecaps soccer after a bit of a holiday break. Um, I guess nothing really happened during the holidays. For once, the Whitecaps not much they needed to to request uh, on their uh, you know holiday list uh, to get to get in terms of arrivals, in terms of gifts. They still were some 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 gifts, so of course we're going to dive into that. But for them, their gift is just to get back on the field and play soccer again. So the great news is that they're already we're here sitting here January eighteenth recording and we're going to talk about a Vancouver Whitecaps game first of all that feels like the earliest that's ever happened like even last year it feels like they didn't play a game to like February 5th years before etc etc not only that the Whitecaps went out played a very good team played a very strong 11 so there's actually a bit we can take away from all this but of course before we dive into all of the games all of the transfers all of the rumors etc etc I'm your co-host Alexander Gungay Ruzik joined as always by Sammy Rowan and I guess, Sam, how's your break? But, you know, break free of kind of Whitecaps news, Whitecaps soccer, soccer in general after the World Cup. Of course, we got blessed with a great end to the World Cup. Hopefully uh, took some time to unplug after uh, that busy month of December. Yeah, I hope everyone had a good holidays. Uh, not too much on the on the Whitecaps news front, but now we're, we're getting back into it. Can't believe we're talking about a match today. As you said, just uh, it's a little early. Uh, in comparison to what we're used to, but I'm absolutely here for it. I'm here for the the extended slate of preseason matches we're going to get for the Whitecaps this year. I feel like that's a good sign. But no, hope everyone had uh, a good holiday period. I certainly did. Stayed here in the UK, so nice and low key. That was good. And then I mean, shout out to uh, the Whitecaps being in Spain as well. Super helpful in terms of the time zones for right now. So I'm going to rejoice in that while I can. Uh, so yeah, we're going to dive into the match today against Hamburger SV and then also talk, you know, any news and notes that have popped up over the last month. Also had the chance to speak with Vanny today. So some, some little tidbits of how he thinks the preseason camp has been going so far, players he's noticed, things he's thinking tactically. So we're going to dive into all of that. Uh, as always, Alex, very much looking forward to getting into it. Yes, first of all, Sam, the first question, how tempting was it to pop down on an easy jet down to Marbella, get some sun and uh, maybe catch some soccer while you're down there from the UK? Well, it's funny, right? Because, you know, life gets in the way. And I, I honestly, I hadn't thought about it until today. And then I'm sitting there watching the match. And I'm kind of like, wait a second, how easy would it have been to actually go down and check out <laughs> these matches? And I'm kind of like, oh, man, flights were only like 75 pounds. Like totally could have done it, but... Is one of those things over the holiday season was not prepared to make that kind of plan at the time. 
So, uh, and, and ultimately, I mean, shout out, hopefully it's going to be like this for the upcoming match, but the, the YouTube stream was tremendous. Um, probably got to see more note more on the feed than I would have, you know, sitting down at pitch level in person, but, uh, no, that definitely would have been cool. And, uh, Hey, if the white caps make it to, to Spain or something like that again in the future, maybe I'll be a little bit more on top of it, but, uh, yeah, definitely did cross the line this afternoon. Hey, I was going to say, I mean, forget the Whitecaps part of the equation. I mean, now it's just thinking more about Marbella. When they pan that, it, yeah, again, first of all, it was a tremendous TV production from Hamburg. They had like five different cameras. I'm thinking of that camera they had behind Thomas Hassall's first half goal. They panned to those mountains, and I was sitting there like cold, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be in Marbella. So, <laughs> of course, it wasn't actually that warm there. I think it was only 14 degrees Uh you know, during the game, but still, again, better, 14 is better than like minus five. So we'll always be looking at that reminiscent. Of course, it's also better than dreary gray skies. But yeah, first of all, I guess let's dive into this game. It was a fascinating opponent, really. I mean, it's one that really kind of snuck up onto us. Usually the first game of the year we're used to seeing, usually you play an MLS team, maybe you play a USL team. You know, I think back to a couple of years ago, like, remember when the Caps went to Hawaii and under the first Mark DeSantos preseason, they ended up playing like some some USL team. Or, or Didn't they play or, a second division Japanese team at like, yes, um, that's... At, at the like, it was the Hawaii, the Aloha Bowl or whatever the, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact name of the stadium, but it's the massive um, football stadium that the, that the University of Hawaii football team plays in. And then they used to have a pro bowl and stuff as well. So it was just like one of the weirdest white caps experiences. I remember massive football stadium, no one in attendance playing against a second division Japanese team or second division, South Korean team. I'm now I'm doubting it, but, and then they lost as well. And they were kind of embarrassed. That's like an iconic preseason memory. Well, I just remember that. Cause it was, again, it was just, it was like middle of February, so it was way later than now. It feels like I'm I'm, I'm generally going to double check this. Maybe we're just getting like a Mandela effect and inventing a lot of stuff. Just has been it's like lore. It doesn't feel real. So okay, there's a few things that we can't say. It was February eighth, twenty nineteen. They played V Varen Nagasaki. Uh, we're at second at the time, second division of Jap- a Japanese soccer. They played it in Honolulu, Hawaii. It was a three to one win for Varen Nagasaki. Nor- David Norman Jr. scored for the Whitecaps, if you remember correctly. Wow. I, I, just a- <laughs> that's great. It was a bunch of kids. It was just a bunch of kids because the Whitecaps hadn't signed anyone. Like their starting lineup had Zach McMath in goal, a back line of Jake Nowinski, Daniil Henry, Derek Cornelius, Brett Levi. Damn, a pretty good back four. And then a midfield trio of Andy Rose, John Arise, and Felipe and a front line of Theo Bear, Las Bangura, and PC. Like, talk about a throwback. And then they brought on a bunch of kids. All uh, praise the GOAT, the GOAT PC. Oh, I missed that guy. He won last year. He won the, the Supporters Shield in the uh, USL last year and the, the league as well, with along with one Yasser Kamiri, if you want more throwback. So, again, just to say it's it's come a long way to come to this game of the year. Whitecaps get very decent opposition. That's what I was kind of leading into. Hamburger uh sv didn't really take note of this really when the friendly was announced i thought okay german second division side you know good level of of opposition to start with hamburger second in the second bundesliga for those familiar with the german 
uh, soccer pyramid. Of course, just 18 teams in the Bundesliga, the smallest top five league in Europe, the only top five league with less than 20 teams. That means by default, Hamburg is technically the second or the a top 20 team in Germany. So in most other uh, countries, they would have been a Bundesliga level team. So just an idea of the level, typically the second Bundesliga the top end is quite strong because of the the smaller size of the Bundesliga uh, as well. Hamburg, of course, they hadn't played competitively since November due to the, the long winter break plus World Cup break uh, that German teams were given. But just last week, they lost 4-0 to, to Bundesliga side uh, Köln. But just to say that literally last week they were playing against Bundesliga opposition in preparation for this game. For the Whitecaps, all that to say is this isn't a second division Japanese team. This isn't a USL team. This isn't an out-of-form MLS team. They came in and got a team that's gearing up for a promotion push in just uh, you know a week's time, really. They get back in a second Bundesliga action. This is a team that's been playing top-level opposition that has some solid players. I mean... Again, what a, what a start for them in terms of playing that sort of opposition right off the bat. So I felt like that's something that that maybe kind of flew under the radar because I saw a lot of, oh, this is a second Bundesliga team. This is a good chance for MLS to prove its level. Like for a Caps team that hadn't played a game since October 7th, I think this is like talk about a, a way to dive right back into things. Yeah, well, there's always that constant debate um, and the constant self-awareness of, MLS supporters, MLS journalists, any, anyone attached to the league about this, you know, where does the league sit in comparison to other leagues, right? You can you can make any kind of case you want, depending on your argument. But I I mean, Hamburg was full value. Like, they looked like a team in form at the top of the table um, today watching it. They're, they're passing, especially in the first 30, 35 minutes, just sharp one-twos, beating the Whitecaps press, really opening up space. Uh yeah, they, they looked well-drilled. They looked like a team in mid-season form. And you could see the Whitecaps really uh, shaking off the rust. Like, they they really did get better in that first half as the match went on. But obviously, first five, ten minutes, there were some missed passes, some some miscommunication, some some hesitancy on the ball, or sometimes maybe a bit of a panic just trying to make a pass too quickly when, when a player had time. So uh, it, it was tricky in the sense that this is really good for the Caps, I do think. But at the same time, it's maybe a bit kinder on you as a team when you're you're playing another out-of-form MLS team. And so they're going through everything you're going through. In this case, it's kind of right out of the frying pan into the fire against a, a team that's, you know, a lot more up for it than you at this point. But, uh, I mean, Vanny Sartini noted this in his press conference where, you know, even the, the hamburger manager said, hey, I thought you guys – you guys look pretty sharp for your first match in, you know, three, four months. So, and I did think as, as the first half went on, the white caps certainly grew into the match and there were positives. So uh, yeah, it's tremendous. And and overall, I said it off the top. I think the fact that there's, so they're playing these two matches here in Spain, and then they're going to play five in Palm Springs. Those will all be against MLS sides, but that's a, a really good extensive slate of preseason matches and, it feels like a more, far more rigorous schedule than uh, the Whitecaps have done in recent years. And I think that's a really good thing because they, they've consistently just not looked ready out of the gates um, in, in MLS seasons recently, even if the results have been mixed, you know, unlike last year, obviously the results were very poor, but even in seasons where they, they fared better, it never felt like they really 
you know, just took the league by storm at the start of the regular season. So I think they're, they've set themselves up much better this season, at least in a preparation sense to, uh, to jump right on it in February. Well, that kind of leads to the biggest part of this that I thought for me, uh, the lineup, just because one thing that we've seen a lot in past preseasons is just that, you know, either we've had years where they've just been playing catch up from day one and it feels like preseason is just thrown together. Think like that Hawaii preseason in the 2019 was one where it just really wasn't thought of like, oh, let's go to Hawaii before sticking around in Vancouver. But then they had no signing. So they just kind of went to Hawaii with this bare bones like youth squad. It, it was basically a vacation. And I know that Mark DeSantos even spoke about it and said that like that was a a big regret at the start of his tenure. That, that that trip was basically like a massive failure and set them down a really bad path. Well, that's it, exactly. And it's just one where it's like you don't want that, but you plan maybe things differently. You've seen that even in other years where for whatever reason the White Caps will plan a preseason, right? And then in, in a different case, like players will be injured or players will be missing with visa issues or you'll just like you'll go in with most of your squad but then you'll miss three or four key starters so then but you know by the time you start the season you're playing catch up because player x or player b wasn't able to get enough preseason training what i like is that assuming there are no, no more signings made this is pretty much what like bar maybe one more name. This is likely on paper, a starting 11 that you'd see in game number one of MLS. Even if you make the signings that some expect to make, like what other than a striker or goalkeeper, like, again, this is still probably very close to a first choice 11. And again, it's if you're bringing in a new goalkeeper, it's not like, unless you bring in some, you know, new generation version of Manuel Neuer, who's like an extreme sweeper or someone who's like glued to his line. Like you're not going to revolutionize you, the way you play. I will just the, say new goal. shout out to the hamburger keeper today, who was kind of Manuel Neuer as coming way out to, to be part of the build up uh, at the back. I, 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 his vibe was aspirational. I, I like that today. So just, yeah. Shout out to the All sweeper right. keepers out there. Oh yeah, so who knows? Maybe if 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 they weren't in a promotion push, maybe the Whitecaps would be uh, throwing some money across the door, being like, "Look, uh, we would love to sign your services." But hey, I feel like that's a discredit to Thomas Asal, who we'll get to. I thought uh, had a decent little outing for himself, all things considered. But uh, yeah, that was a big thing for me. Just again, when I was waiting for the lineup to drop this morning, it's kind of curious. Okay, what kind of lineup would we see? Would it be maybe a bit experimental? You see some partnerships you want to work. No, I think that was pretty much like, again, with the guys that you have, like that, that that has to be the starting 11. Like the fact that, you, again, you get Vitaine Gall to work their magic. You get Brian White leading the line. Um, you, you get that midfield of Gressel, uh, of Cube, of Kubas, of Schopf. You get the back line of, of Blackman, Laborda, Veselinovic, Luis Martins, because I guess no Christian Gutierrez as he works back from some sort of knock. Uh, like he's the maybe the one player that you're talking about. Okay, him for Martins. Or again, as we'll talk about, maybe another player like Ali Ahmed for Martins, based on uh, how that first half went. But yeah, that was the big thing for me, and I think this is going to be the, of course, you know, the big thing for this preseason. Like again, we're not going to be able to predict how things go because a lot of the issues that the Whitecaps have dealt with in preseasons haven't always been in their control, as in like oh injuries and 
you know, other knocks and those could all very well come. But I do find it so encouraging that for once from the start, they're going with their strong group. And at the very least, if there are injuries and knocks, at least they have this baseline of a group of what they want things to look like so that if players are coming in, there's clearly a way of playing. There's clearly players you have to emulate. It's not like, okay, we're building this style profile from scratch. We're building a way of playing from scratch. So I do think that was super encouraging just to see uh, with the lineup because yeah, in preseasons past, it feels like that's something that we've always been like, oof, okay, this is like very kid heavy to start the year. Oh, they're, 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 they're getting their big guns up to speed or they're getting their, their big guns are coming in off of injury. They're coming in off of this. And I did find it encouraging that. Yeah. Look like you had your two DPs. You had, you know, you had Vite, who's one of your U22 signings. You had your main striker. Like you had a lot of, your main guys. And I do do think that is crucial in terms of no matter what you think happened on the pitch, just the fact that they're already getting 45, 30 minutes together as a unit, I think can only be, uh, it's undervalued. Well, and you make a really good point that uh, we saw something in this preseason match that was almost entirely a tactical identity and a lineup that they fielded at the end of last season, right? I mean, you've got Laborda in there, but other than that, it's, familiar characters in familiar roles in a familiar system. And the Whitecaps just haven't had much of that over the last three, four years. Like even, okay, you had Vanny Sartini step in, not last season, but the season prior and, and go three at the back, put someone like a Dahomey out at wing back. And, and some of those things returned last season, but a lot changed as well. And uh, yeah, it just feels like there's a lot more continuity one thing I did want to pick up on, I mean, we're going to talk about fullbacks in a little bit, but good to just get this correct off the hop. So Christian Gutierrez had off-season abdominal surgery. He is with the squad right now in Spain. He's just not ready to partake in these preseason matches yet, and it sounds like he will be 100% participating down in Palm Springs for those five matches. So. I'm sure we'll see him at some point down in California. So that's kind of his timeline. And as I said, we'll talk maybe about the the evolution of the fullbacks, what they're going to expect out of that position this season in just a little bit. But uh, yeah, Alex, I mean, why don't we talk about uh, the one big newcomer in, that was in the squad today and, and maybe overall the, the center back partnership of Ranko Veselinovic and Matias Laborda. Um, you know, obviously, Early goal against, uh, really, really nice cross into the box, header from a big, tall center forward. But overall, I thought those two looked pretty good in communication. Laborda had a couple nice moments on the ball. And uh, and really, it's I think it's going to be exciting this year to have two uh, young, you know, exciting center back prospects slash players, obviously, guys that could take a step up and not just be good MLS players, but maybe be real impact MLS players. Having the opportunity to see them develop together this season, I think is something Whitecaps supporters should be excited. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the Laborda signing looks like a very good one upon first glance. I mean, again, we, the Whitecaps definitely needed to make some sort of move uh, at center back. We hadn't, you know, we, we noticed that as a big thing on the shopping list and, this is exactly what they needed. And what's nice is that this seems to be more based on the stats, based on what we've seen so far. This seems more of the Eric Godoy slash Ranko Veselinovic style of, of signing where it's a young 
youngish player who's played a lot of minutes at a good level versus like say i guess a yasser kamiri or you know take your pick of some of the center back names we've come in who have been intriguing but maybe have been more projects or more you know long-term options uh, at the back versus uh what laborda offers and i think again we saw the profile was intriguing off the bat over 100 pro games for someone who's just like 23 i think it is you always have to be excited by that um but yeah, in terms of this game, it was tough for them just because it did feel like the Caps struggled to play out of the back. So we didn't get to see that side of the game from what it looks like, uh, you know, statistically from what we've seen of, of you know, training when it was in, uh, in Vancouver for a bit. From what we've seen on in videos, Laborda should help a lot in that uh, regard. And it felt like, of course, in this game, him and Ranko Veslinovich and even the second half crew weren't able to really do that. Uh, but I thought otherwise, defensively, they did what they had to. I thought the first goal was kind of unfair for them in the sense that it was just one where it should have been closed down better get the ball gets whipped into the box he just the, the striker does well to kind of find that soft space in between the two center backs and of course when you're playing his own defense those sort of things happen and uh you know again i don't think that's that's one where as with time they'll get used to okay just knowing when to sometimes break out of that zone and step when you realize the striker finds that sort of blind spot between the two center backs. And again, this is a group that played, this is their first game together. So those sort of miscommunications do happen. And I thought otherwise they did really solid. It feels like the Caps rarely gave up much to Hamburg in the rest of that first half while they were on. I think the other chances, I think the one at the end of the half forced to save it of Hassal more came out of the the wide areas the the you know for the most part the white caps kept them out of the you know the zone 18 so to speak the areas in the box that you want to keep teams out of so i think that's encouraging i think this is going to be a good pair they're mobile uh they seem to complement each other nice they will be able to play out of the back and um i think that's that's positive to see that these two can you know start the air quote unquote in the back four in reality it is kind of a back five with tristan blackman which again is is not a bad thing and I mean, yeah, as long as the depth options can can push them, I do think the the Laborda Veselinovich pair, good start, good good ratings for the first start, let's say. Yeah, and I mean, I would just add something too, like at the center back position for the White Caps, durability has been a concern, right? So to bring in a young guy who's proven his ability to play match in, match out at the professional level, like that's inherently valuable. It's not a you know, it's not a sexy thing, but like you need your best players to be available. And so I, I think of this a lot, or we're going to have to see him play in MLS to, you know, make a full evaluation, but it very much feels like a Ranko 2.0 type signing, right? Like they went after someone who at a young age had kind of this, this veteran savvy beyond his years, also had the technical ability, a pretty fluid athlete back there. Uh, it seems to tick a lot of those boxes someone they think can can grow into this role at the mls level so yeah i'm i'm excited i think uh yeah for, for a small sample size today only only really good things they're going to continue to improve and uh obviously laborda brings a little bit more as you mentioned of like those wide center back and a back three traits than than ranko who's kind of that pivot in the middle but uh yeah we're going to continue to break that down as the preseason goes on moving up the pitch a little bit uh, something that is interesting, I, I think at least to me, and maybe uh, the listener out there agrees or doesn't agree, uh, you know, Tubas is definitely going to lock down that holding midfield role, and, and he does a great job of it. I don't think there's any debate about that. You you could see it in the match. 
uh, earlier today. But what's going to be interesting is that that double pivot, the two eights, um, you know, in Gressel and Schopf, Gressel moving in a little more centrally, Schopf not in a number 10 role, not in an attacking midfield role, but more of a box-to-box midfielder. Uh, frankly, I mean, those two guys struggled today. And I think overall, it's going to be interesting at track in particular. Schopf, how does he adapt to MLS? Obviously, it was tough at the end of last year moving to a new country, having a kid, like all these other things do get in the way. But uh, the Whitecaps are really going to need those two if they're going to play as number eights this year to to show up in a major way. And so I think that's something to watch for the rest of this preseason and then also something to to monitor as the regular season starts. Because, you know, this, this Whitecaps team, I think, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, put words in anyone's mouth, but I think that, they're expecting of themselves a, you know, to be a fourth or fifth seed in the Western conference playoffs this season. Like that would be something like that would be a reasonable goal. And uh, players like Julian Gressel and Alessandro shop in those box to box midfield roles are going to have to not just provide, you know, decent MLS minutes, but be like high end midfielders in order for that to happen. So, uh, yeah, I think there's work to do in that regard, not, not only in the system, but also for those players. So, uh, yeah, Alex, curious for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's one, Sam, where you look at, you know, the setup. It's an intriguing one just because, again, we look at the profiles. It feels a bit weird in the sense that Gressel, you think of him as a wing back. You think of Schopf maybe as higher up the pitch. You already have got two tens on the field. It did feel a bit staggered. And I think one thing, the biggest thing to, to notice with this partnership is how it's going to find its feet offensively. Because I'll be honest, one thing that was, you know, to maybe start with the good, defensively, they were excellent in midfield. I think that was the biggest surprise to me was just looking how organized that midfield three was off the ball. And I think you could, I think the four three two one is really what it is off the ball. It is a four three two one on the ball. It becomes more of a back three. And I thought the three off the ball was fantastic. Gressel and Schopf did well to tuck in beside Kubas. Really, like you look at the goal, it came from wide. So when they were on the 45 minutes there, they gave up next to nothing through the middle. They were doing such a good job of just stepping and and disrupting Hamburg and keeping them out of uh, the area. So I think that's key. Because I think that's an area that, let's be real, we've seen over the years the Whitecaps consistently struggle at. They give up these long shots. They give up these carving passes through the middle. And you can't help but being intrigued, especially when you think of all the number 10s you're going to go up in MLS. Uh, right. You you want to be good in the middle. You want your Kubas to anchor held by Gressel and Shop. So I think that's an, an exciting to look at the, the setup. OK, look, maybe Vanny Sartini has finally found the solution to not be so permissive in midfield off the ball, which is, again, a, an area that even last year, look in the big games, which cooked and we we'd sit here talking about oh, the midfield. They just got ran through the midfield. So the fact that they, they went up against Hamburg and went in that regard great i just think offensively it's going to be something where they have to figure out their identity a bit because they did have they did look at their best in transition which again it's not surprising that's the white caps from last year but it just feels like if you're going to go for a midfield three if you're going to have some of those players you're going to have vitain gold you'd also like the caps to become a team that can hold on to the ball that can find pockets and 
just because you do that doesn't mean you give up your transition game. If anything, it just makes you more dangerous because then teams know that, okay, shoot, we have to get back behind the ball against Vancouver in transition because they're going to hurt us. But also we can't get too deep because they're going to hurt us in possession. Whereas you could kind of tell that Hamburg didn't have to worry much when the Whitecaps would get on the ball because they were panicky. They weren't creating space. They weren't running around in midfield. Felt like Gressel was a bit lost in terms of, should I go tuck out naturally out wide to be a wing back and let the tens cut back? Should I stay in as an option? You know, even ditto with shop. Should I go high up the field? Should I drop in? And that's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. So I think that's going to make a big difference. You think with, with essentially, if you're looking at it at the, you know, either if you look at it at three, four, two, one or a four, three, two, one, Either way, that's a lot of bodies in midfield. Yet it didn't feel like in possession that the Caps had that many bodies in midfield. And I think that is that's not what you want, of course, when you have that many midfielders, especially technically gifted players. Vite, Gold. You you look at Shop, Kubas as well, Gressel certainly very technically gifted. So I think the biggest question for me is how are they going to align? Like, is Gressel really going to play as an eight? Is it going to be one where maybe he becomes a wing back? And Gold and Vite tuck in, which might even be the better option. It just felt like they did neither of those things today. And it just led to a lot of moments in possession where Ranko and, and Laborda would try to play at the back. And then they'd get it up to maybe, so I guess it would have been, uh, y- you know, you get it up to Blackman, you get it up to, to Martins. And then they looked up and it was just, okay, hoof ball, just because there's nothing going on in the midfield. And I feel like if you're the Whitecaps, you do want to show more dimensions to your offensive game than that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting combination of profiles because you've got Stop, who, from what I've seen, likes to be the guy on the ball and sort of be be patient on the ball and and do things through build up and and kind of make the right decisions that way. And then Gressel's obviously got the got the crossing ability, like the tremendous service, but the Whitecaps don't really have a lot of targets for that service. So it's like, how is how is he going to get involved in that respect? Uh, they're going to have to be be creative, I think, with how they they figure it out. And I'll just pick up on a couple of things Vanny said about those two players. I mean, yeah, I think offensively, Gressel and Schaaf didn't look great in, in this match. But I will say that Vanny noted when when asked sort of who's who's a player that you've seen make a jump this preseason who's really stood out to you. Alessandro Schopf was the first guy that came to mind. So I guess in training and in whatever they've been doing in Spain that wasn't this match, Schopf's been really, um, you know, really at a high level. And Vanny sort of cited his, that, that what we saw from him last year wasn't the real player and that we're going to see a different, a different player this season. And he seemed very adamant about that. So uh, I, I've yet to, I think, sort of see that evidence in person, but Obviously, that's great news for the Whitecaps if they're they're able to get the player that was advertised. And then, I mean, a second note is that Sartini did seem relatively confident that, yeah, uh, Julian Gressel is going to play as a number eight this season. He cited, you know, that the, the early years in Atlanta and the success that Gressel had in that spot and, and thinks that they can rediscover some of that. So uh, at least at current, that that kind of seems like where they're going to go with it. Um, obviously, I mean, Vanny Sartini is is willing to change his mind and is, and is willing to be creative. We've definitely seen that before. So, uh, yeah, I think that is one of the most intriguing things about this preseason is how they're going to handle all the interesting profiles they had. Because this was an, an underlying thing. It feels like it's so long ago now. But we were chatting about this at the end of last season where it's like, okay, great, you've got the players. Now, how do you actually get the most out of them because they kind of struggled with that at the end of last year. And I, they're going to run up against this again. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's something where, especially I'm looking at personnel. That's the one big thing where it's like, yeah, okay, if we're looking at maybe other profiles that can help sort the attacking side of the midfield. It's like it's Seb Berhalter, which, yeah, he can ping a ball, but and he had some flashes, to be fair to him, in this game, had a hit from distance. But this is still, you know, you're looking at number eights that can really push the needle and go box to box. Like it was maybe that's Kyle Alexandre's music, but obviously he's not coming back. He's loving life in Fortaleza and that his loan was extended. And that's one where it's like, yeah, it's Sebastian Berhalter and Russell Tybert, which great all energy players guys who maybe you come in can give an energy to a game in terms of i i guess if you want box to box in the sense of guys that will run guys that will play the ball short but in terms of that offensive difference maker again i guess that's why gressel has been dropped in there but it just doesn't really feel like a role that will suit him it feels like gressel is just given his deliveries is best suited to playing out wide and at least to yeah this conundrum because like we're mentioning off the show ideally you look at profiles ryan gold is arguably the best player to play there but you don't want him there just because a guy with like ryan gold you know he's going to work too hard defensively and when he's your best creator you don't want him tracking back to the edge of your own box if there are other players that can fill that role so 100 percent, maybe that's something that the caps are going to have to look at of midfield profiles okay maybe they needed to get someone like a uh, maybe this is someone that, it, it, you know, this offseason, it's something they're going to need to uh, to look at doing it in terms of, you know, just bringing a different midfield profile because uh, that'll be something that could, you know, not hurt them, but could really give feel like it's taking away from their offense. Let's just say, given, the, you know, the lack of options uh, that we've already seen there, that would you, you don't want that. I will say no, no particular shade being thrown only because this is the first example I can think of. This is a better problem to have than why aren't the white caps using Leo Russo enough, you know, like in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think this is a, this is a more solvable problem. This is, there's more potential out of these guys than, than what the white caps had previously. So, you know, we're dealing with a couple of players in mean, Kubas, Gressel and Schaff, the white caps, didn't have at the beginning of last season right so um I, I think overall it's positive but it's just you know if you really again if you want to be that fourth fifth seed in the west that's a genuine playoff contender these are things you got to get on top of okay you want to uh say a little piece on thomas Assault because a uh, couple big saves and and also i guess a- after we get your thoughts i just wanted to talk a little bit about we didn't get much out of vanny today on this but there being no news on the goalkeeping front. Like are the white caps confident with Thomas Assal and Isaac Bomer as your goalkeepers going into the MLS season? Cause I think it's, I think everyone just assumed another goalkeeper would get brought in and we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I mean, the, the, goal, the goalkeeper situation remains a one of, of question, I guess for uh, the white caps, but I mean, at the same time, it's one where, yeah, I think, of course, you look in, at, at, for upgrades, but upgrades haven't been easy to come by. You look around the league. I look at clubs that wanted to also likely upgrade at the position. You think maybe TFC. Of course, they've been very adamant in the pursuit of a Sean Johnson. But even you look at the Whitecaps, it's like, okay, would a player like that have worked for, for the Whitecaps? Would they have been able to you know, get Sean Johnson? You look at a lot of the other veteran options, maybe not as sold. Of course, you could look about outside Europe, but... 
One thing is, I mean, I guess the Caps are already very international heavy, so maybe they could also come down to that where they want to keep their options domestic. You don't want to spend on an international goalkeeper. For whatever reason, we haven't seen much movement. But uh, I guess the, the underrated part of it is that also goalkeepers can switch like this. And yeah, Thomas Assault didn't maybe have the greatest start to last year, but his numbers did improve. Uh, you look also how just bad Cody Cropper's numbers were from a pure numbers standpoint. You're like, okay, maybe anyone at this point, will, you know, just coming in and being average will be an upgrade. And then from there, yeah, Hassal is young, et cetera. It'll, it'll be to be seen. But I think one thing that'll be good is if, if Hassal can have a strong preseason, that will help. That'll help him really get his legs under him, maybe just get him in form for the start of the year. And I think a game like this is encouraging. Yeah, he led in two goals, but I'm looking at both goals. The first one is just, Again, watch the, the back angle of it sold it for me, like the, the camera behind the goal, like just the header. It was a perfect header in the sense that he just looped it over the bar and then into that sort of top part of the net. And Hassal had to step over to react to the header, get set and then dive to it. And then you look at the second goal. Just again, it was they played right through the Whitecaps defense, a, a tap in a cross goal. You're never going to look at a goalkeeper at fault for that one. He made some huge saves, too. There was. Uh, that one at the end of the first half where he came up huge. There was one in the second half where it was across a header and he came and he, like, it was labeled for the top corner. And he proper like palmed it away out of danger and everything. I thought that was encouraging. So you add in little, you know, details here and there where, where his sweeping's getting again more and more confident. He's playing ball at the feet. There are a few times where he got the ball, he'd ping it 30 yards and it'd make it to his target before last year. Maybe sometimes it would be a bit short, it would be a bit long. We're seeing him more and more confident with his feet. I mean, we saw it last year when he uh, he danced around. I forget which attacker it was, but uh, he had that viral moment where he did that bit of that Ronaldo chop. So obviously his confidence is growing uh, in that regard. So again, I feel like for Thomas Assal, this is a good position for him to be in. Hopefully he can continue to to, to push because it feels like in terms of goalkeeper options, there aren't many up, out there that I'd say are a clear upgrade because I think if you're the Caps, that's probably what you want. If you're going to invest money in the position, you're going to take away a spot from your young goalkeeper. You do want a clear upgrade. This isn't a case where the Caps have no one and you're just looking to get anyone. And uh, as long as that doesn't materialize, it's Hassal's goal. And again, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, as long as he can continue on that path he was on uh, uh, last year, especially if they can get a little more solidity in front of him. They can get stronger midfield in front of him, as we saw in this game where Goals aren't going to be coming at him from right down the middle. And then, okay, if they can start closing down on crosses a little more, then uh, then you're really cooking. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to the beginning of last season, right? You had some people sort of blaming Hassal's keeping, but it's like the Whitecaps were just getting absolutely caved in in terms of chances. Like, uh, you know, Hassal didn't stand a chance in those matches. So, yeah, I don't know about this. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just like on a different page than everyone else, but uh-uh. My comment about like the Whitecaps not bringing in another keeper wasn't necessarily bringing in a keeper to supersede Hassal. I'm just a bit surprised that they haven't sort of addressed depth goalkeeping. And maybe I'm maybe I'm just the only person thinking about depth goalkeeping, but I just don't know how comfortable I am with Isaac Bomer as your surefire backup keeper. Like I you see guys go down with injuries all the time. You need your backup keeper to play four or five matches in an MLS season. And I just I thought they would have looked at the CPL. They would have looked at the USL and brought in, I mean, it's kind of been their calling card to bring in a USL vet depth guy and just 
But this time, like, don't get yourself in a Cody Cropper situation. Just make that player the, the legitimate backup to Thomas Hall. But then you have your depth needs sorted. So I'm just, I'm slightly surprised that they, they haven't addressed that. And I did ask Vanny about it. And he essentially sort of shooed away the question, which makes me think that they don't really have plans to bring anyone else in Maybe if something falls in their lap, they will. But uh, yeah, I, 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 to me, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with Thomas Assal being the starting keeper for the Whitecaps. I think that's, that's really what they should do. But I'm a little surprised they haven't addressed depth concerns to this point. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the, the thing in goal. Because yeah, I think for me, if you're going to bring in someone, it either has to be a clear upgrade you know, in the sense that, okay, you're bringing in, like I say, Dane Sinclair. That's a name we know, right? Like someone along those lines or, and if, yeah, if not for Hassal, yeah, it makes sense. I think dude, the only thing is that the depth point is a good one, especially look at the goalies that are in Spain, like a lot of promise with, you know, Max Anker, who's looking good, but do you want him to be thrust into another game this young? You still want him to get another good season or two of MLS next pro before you even thinking about that just to let him really grow and mature not have to really get that trial by by fire i mean ditto with isaac balmer which he's had his flashes but you still want him to get way more seasoning before you're even thinking of that um so that's maybe something to monitor maybe it's something that happens a little later so you can kind of let bomer and anchor run the mls next pro team or maybe they're just straight up going okay bomer is just a gonna be back up and you're gonna let him you're gonna let anchor run the show with the mls next pro team it's gonna be a bit fascinating but i think one it's one for the goalkeeping yeah it's been a lot of talk of of the position but it also just feels like it's a position where defensive improvements are going to improve the position as much as x improvement here or there because again i if we're going to look at the montreal model from last year they had excellent defensive xg numbers they didn't concede many goals and that was despite some hur- hist- historically bad performances in the bad in the first half from sebastian Brezza. So ultimately, if you defend well, you won't give up goals. So I think the Whitecaps, if they can go for that model of play uh, at the end of the day, that's what might what suit Hassal. That's what might just do them the best. And uh, hopefully they go from there. But uh, I guess other than that, we're moving down the list here of stuff uh, from the first half, really, because that was the starters. But of course, we'll have some quick notes from the second half. I guess really just the fullbacks, uh, Tristan Blackman and Luis Martins to start Martins notably struggled. He did look a bit slow, wasn't able to get up the pitch as much. Then he gets subbed off the 30th minute. I was a bit surprised by that. I mean, yeah, he looked slow. thought they were going to let him maybe work it out. But Ali Ahmed comes in and, again, looks fantastic. Another player who, again, every time he sees the field for the Whitecaps, he looks great. I mean, all of a sudden, it starts to open up question of what goes on at fullbacks. you got Christian Gutierrez as well. You've got Reiner Poso had a decent little shift. Who do you pick as your guys? Because obviously Blackman is going to have the edge based on the fact that, you know, he helps them play that back three building out of the back. Although we did see them kind of take, you know, of course he got taken off and they went for a true natural back four in the second half and also did look decent in that. Um, but what maybe happens at, at fullback? You know, how how much can Ali Ahmed and Ryan Raposo push? Because personally, those are, they were arguably uh, two of the best fullbacks on the, the field today and, you look at last year, there were two that impressed a lot over the course of the year with their play. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to highlight this one because I think it's, it's a position of e- intrigue in the preseason because 
the wingbacks, the pure wingbacks are gone, right? Now, now you're looking for a different profile. And I do think Tristan Blackman's going to hold down that, that right side spot that is essentially the third center back unless something drastic happens. And, and yeah, maybe they'll go to a natural back four in some circumstances, but I think it's really that Luis Martin's role from last year that's going to be the open competition and you'll have Raposo, you'll have Gutierrez, you'll have Ali Ahmed, you'll have Martins competing for that. Um, just to pick up on a couple of Vanny notes from today. I mean, like I thought to me, Ali Ahmed was the man of the match. I mean, it's hard to award a man of the match winner in 45 minutes in a preseason friendly, but like he was the guy that stood out on the white caps to me um, yet. It was interesting. I expected Vanny to sort of heap praise on him after the match. And instead, I think Vanny threw a bit of cold water on it. Like, yeah, Al- Ali was good today, but, you know, he's he's not got much MLS experience and like we're going to take things slow was was very much the message. Um, so I, I, we'll see how that evolves over the course of the preseason. Uh, I was all aboard the Ahmed trade after seeing what I saw today. But then, as we mentioned previously, Gutierrez will be coming back. I, I wonder how that relationship is. They say it's repaired. Uh, I'm suspicious of, you know, I don't, I don't think you forget about things like that when you get dropped to the second team when you're once a starter. Like, I, I wonder what kind of scar tissues there. Uh, but obviously, Goody has qualities that could really help this team. And then, I mean, I think Vanny Sartini really likes Ryan Raposo and obviously has a lot of faith in him, showed more faith in Raposo than, than Mark DeSantos did and got more out of him. Uh, so... I'm curious to see. I thought Raposo looked good in the second half too, even though it's really hard to evaluate. Um, and you know, when there's all kinds of things going on on the pitch, so it feels like that role is wide open, really match to match, team to team. Honestly, I could see them messing around with who plays in that role, and and so I'm just intrigued to follow along. Yeah, I mean, I think Ahmed's going to be the big one to watch just because he's so. He's in such an interesting place, obviously signed the first team deal. So you're going to want him to get minutes, uh, but he's not at that point where he's had that full breakout yet. But again, you looked at what he showed every time he played last year, he has not looked off the level. He was so excellent in MLS next pro. It's one where it feels just like at a point, it's like, why hold him back? Like if he's continuing to show these moments, kind of let him see what he can do. And it's, it's going to be one where I a hundred percent want to see more of him. It feels like he's, due to start you know soon soon enough and well, uh, go from also pr- i don't want to i'm this guy that always does this on the podcast but like he's already 22 so if if, yeah. if you're gonna start playing him in mls you, you have to do it now otherwise what's the point yeah that's it like what ryan Raposa was 23 last year he had his breakout like this is a good time for ali ahmed and i just think he brings again a, this dynamic nature that the Whitecaps fullbacks don't have like he's just so good at going at guys like again today he's against good opposition I'm pretty sure his first two plays were just dribbling around guys and you know not looking he's just fearless on the ball and I think interceptions as well defensively like the the defensive side of the game was sharp which is you know I expected to see some some creativity going forward but I, I was impressed against good competition in that first 15 20 minutes he was on the pitch the defensive structure was good as well hundred percent and I guess otherwise in terms of Gutierrez it's a question of yeah just like how does he feel how does he feel physically because again the quality is there no doubt about it and if he's up to to fit he's always going to be consideration 
again, I guess the other one, of course, as well, another wild card is just, yeah, Raposo. What do you do with Raposo? Because now I'm thinking maybe an idea, though, just an idea, because Raposo is, you know, relatively dynamic. You know, he's going to work hard. You know, he can keep a shape. One might have seen the release that's official. Julian Gressel is going to be called up to the U.S. men's national team camp for their Camp Cupcake, of course, their version of Camp Poutine down uh, below the border. So he heads home and he's actually going to play Ranko Veselinovic uh, in a game. So you're going to get a little Caps international reunion. Hopefully they both play because that's going to be cool to see. What that means is he pretty much, I think he's going to leave camp like now, I assume, to go take full participation in this camp. Maybe what we could see, we're talking about lack of number eights, lack of options. Ryan Raposo moonlighting as Julian Gressel. I just would want to see I, it. Just I, love, we've talked... I love this idea. This is tremendous. Come saying is Ryan Raposo played number 10 in college. So it's not like he's completely unfamiliar with the idea of playing centrally. He, you know, he, he can bring a lot of the same things that Gressel brings in terms of knowing how to play as a wing back, knowing how to find space. But if anything, he's more, it feels like Raposo is a bit more comfortable cutting inside and playing in those sorts of spaces. We've seen him really shine. And is almost seems more suited to that sort of eight profile than Gressel is. So you know what? I'd honestly be down to see that sort of experiment as a way to see if you can get Raposo on the pitch in that way. And maybe that frees Gressel to move out wide. Maybe that frees Gressel to move elsewhere on the pitch. So that's what I feel about Raposo. It feels like Ahmed, you give him a start. Maybe you give him a start straight up over Martin since Gutierrez isn't ready to go yet to see really, okay, if Ahmed continues to shine, you you let him, you give him the, the keys to the, the truck and run. And in terms of Raposo, I'd love to see him tried in, in, in Gressel's role, especially with him going away. It does make it easy to try. So you're not like benching Gressel and be like, oh, here's, here's Raposo. And then if Raposo shines, well, it makes your decision that much easier. So maybe just some food for thought there. Absolutely. Well, we've kind of we've covered almost every position on the pitch, but the one thing we really haven't talked about a lot, especially since the departure of Lucas Cavallini, is you know Brian White left all alone up front. Uh, we saw a couple patented Whitecaps moments in this preseason match where I think it was it was White against like three or four Hamburg defenders and no one within a twenty yard window. He's trying to shoulder and muscle guys off on a on a ball he has no chance of getting to. And I just I'm just wondering, man. Uh, I know maybe we have slightly different views on this, but I feel like the Whitecaps need a different profile of number nine they need like a number nine with pace um and it just yeah it feels like it's going to be a long year for brian white if uh if if he doesn't have some kind of support uh because that's that seems like he plays a little bit better off of one twos and you know those moments in the box rather than trying to do it all on his own so curious for what the white caps might do obviously um in wolfsberger there's there's an Israeli striker that they're targeting, which we'll chat about in a moment. Uh, but yeah, uh, thoughts on kind of Brian White and the, the striker situation overall, because it's a it's a curious one. I mean, yeah, no more no more Theo Bear, no more other you know striking options unless they're going to bring up uh, bring up someone from the MLS next team. It's uh, they they got to find support somewhere, or they're, or they're just rolling with Brian White and maybe Dyberg Caicedo when he comes back from injury. I mean, hey, Lowell Wright would have suited uh, this sort of game, but he, I think, not there yet in terms of, okay, let him get some MLS next pro seasoning. But uh, funnily enough, who you know who would have loved playing in the Brian Wright role today? 
Lucas Cavallini. So a poor one out for Cav. I think he would have thrived in that sort of hold up and bully defender. So it's just hilarious to see Brian White in that role. Cause it just it's so none like him just there trying to trying to be the big bully uh, when he's just so good at reading plays in the box and finding that sort of space. So it's going to be curious to see if the the caps adjust to that. Cause I mean, for now he's the starter and even if you bring a guy in, it's going to take a minute for him to get integrated and to find his feet. So you have to imagine for at least for the next few weeks, Brian White's your guy and maybe, you know, leading into the start of the season, he ends up being your guy. If he gets all those reps in preseason, unless you bring in, you know, someone who impresses right away. Um, So it's just going to be interesting to see how they adjust to that because it feels like, yeah, the Whitecaps are a bit thin up front right now uh, in terms of options. And you just you look at the profiles again, you, how much will Simon Betcher really change that? Like he's again, he looks like a good fox in the box number nine. But right now it feels like the Caps need a number nine that can carry a bit of the load in terms of hold up play, carry the bit of the load in terms of creativity just because they're doing so much work defensively that you need your number nine to to bring a little extra bit of creativity to to offset that and you look again you look at profiles that's not necessarily there although again joe hansen in the second half i mean give me more of him during this preseason he showed that maybe he could be a guy who we're sleeping on long term of course i'm not saying thrust him in first game february 20 whatever it is uh and go out there but Maybe for the second team, he takes a bigger role this year as Simon Betcher, and he's someone we're talking about in a few months' time. But yeah, in terms of striking profiles, it's there's options. Again, I guess it's if it's wrong to say there's not options. You've got White. You've got what soon looks like there's going to be a new striker. It looks like oh, you've, then you've got Joe Hanson. You've got um, you, you, you've you've got Levante Johnson. You've got Lowell Wright. Like you've got options, but it's just you're looking at guys are right? they're all either very raw. Or they don't necessarily suit the profile that uh, that the Caps need. So it's going to be fascinating to uh, to see how this position develops. Because it just felt like uh, Brian White was on a bit of an island today. Hey, third sub listeners, Sam here with a quick word from our friends at Macy's Sports. Been a while since we did an ad read, so thought we'd update you on a couple of things available in store. Uh, first and foremost, of those Darby Magazine. Issue number two out now and available for purchase. Uh, if you like good storytelling about Canadian soccer, uh, it's a great writing, great photography, great overall aesthetic. It's a good publication for you. And uh, stories in there on Atiba Hutchinson, Daniel Henry, Julia Grosso as well. Obviously, gold medal winner, also Vancouver Whitecaps women's alumni. So that's awesome. Uh, but beyond Darby, you've also got. Um, some fresh offerings from Adidas on the boots front, um, always apparel, uh, supporters gear, that kind of stuff as well. If you're looking to dive into the summer season with some new kit or maybe just reading up on a few Canadian soccer stories, Macy's has the stuff for you. So uh, cheers to Macy's as always. Now we'll head back to the show. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, let's just let's dive right in then because this naturally transitions. The The biggest Whitecaps rumor at the moment is uh, the Israeli striker Ty Baribo and the Whitecaps are playing against him next in Spain. Um, so that that's the big thing to watch, I think, over the next week or so. Obviously, the, the two squads being together in the same place, there's you know, good, ample opportunity for some negotiations to be ironed out. I mean, Alex, uh, obviously, this is a guy who's kind of, you know, really popped up recently in the last two seasons. 
in the Austrian Bundesliga, has a pretty impressive goal scoring record over those, you know, this, this partial season and then last season as well. Um, but, you know, a little bit on the older side, just turning 25 um, and, and a smaller sample size overall than maybe some other targets. So I, I'm curious about your thoughts. I mean, this is one that I'm kind of like, okay, but I'm, but I'm not sure it really maybe moves the needle in the way some Whitecaps fans would be hoping for it. I guess it's a, it's a matter of opinion and perspective. I guess I would have been looking for a, a younger target would be, would be my initial thought. Yeah. And even then it feels also like, it feels like you'd want a higher profile target. If that makes sense, like maybe closer to a DP um, than Ty Baribo. but yeah, I mean, Ty Baribo looks like an interesting uh, player in the Austrian Bundesliga uh, currently averaging 0. 0.67 uh, goals per 90 in all competitions for the club this year. If you look at just the Austria Bundesliga, 0. 0.52 goals per 90, basically a goal every two games on average if you play him 90s. He's also averaging 0. 0.5 XG, which for per 90 is very strong for a striker. So again, he's putting up good numbers on the Austrian uh, Bundesliga, averaging two shots uh, per game. Um hasn't really been winning many duels so he hasn't really say been defensively all that involved which is a bit unusual i guess for vanny sartini asks target or white caps target of course that doesn't mean he's not pressing that's just more in terms of pure defensive numbers from what it looks like in terms of reading profile he does seem to be someone who presses of course it wouldn't be a white caps player on that front um uh, uh, you know otherwise in terms of uh you know his play someone again who can dribble the ball decently he can create decently for his teammates his best attribute of course seems to be getting the ball and shooting uh his passing is decent for a striker uh so overall i mean it's an interesting profile there's only really two things you look at you're a bit intrigued by is that again he's far gonna be far from a dp this isn't someone bringing a big pedigree this isn't someone you know bringing a big name or a big salary cost um but the Whitecaps do need striker depth. And, you know, if he can offer a bit of a different profile from Brian White, again, someone who seems to to want to, you know, hold up the ball a little more and bring that sort of aspect that they lost with Lucas Cavallini gone, it, it makes sense. But it does feel like a bit of, all right, it's a lot of what they already kind of have up front, if that already makes sense. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one. Cause again, I, I think good numbers and if you can translate them over great, you have another striker. It just feels like a bit weird in terms of what they're looking to upgrade at the position. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing to me, just watching, watching clips. It's like, ah, oh, this looks like a combination of Brian White and Lucas Cavallini. And it's kind of like, okay, well, why, why do you want more of that? Like that, that didn't really work before. So again, I'm, I'm very big in on like, smaller faster hitting and transition striker like i think they should go for a guy that can run between lines and create space and you know be someone you're you're worried about in the counter and then obviously you know i mean to be a, a good striker be a good center forward you got to be able to pop up in the box as well like don't get me wrong but i i just i was hoping that they would go for something kind of diametrically opposed to what they already have and this just feels like a little bit more of the same so it has me moderately concerned, but as you said, if the, if the price tag's not big, if it's a if it's a TAM signing and, and they just need another guy who can clean up in the box, then I, I think in terms of efficiency, in terms of just finishing chances, this, this does seem like a decent fit in that regard. So 
we'll continue to track. Maybe by the time we record the next podcast, there'll be something a little more concrete to report on. We shall see. But Alex, there is one guy who is in Whitecaps camp, and it's a bit of an interesting situation. He's he's with the team. They're feeling him out. He's feeling that him out. You know, they're they're figuring out what's going on. Um, a, a player who really hasn't touched the field in like 18 months in, in a competitive setting. Salif Sané, a big profile, played a lot of Bundesliga matches, played in Liga most recently. Um, you know, someone who was on something like $4 million a year. So, you know, would in theory be a DP signing in another world, but now he's coming back from injuries, trying to kind of rehabilitate, reestablish his career. Alex, I'm curious for your thoughts. I don't know if you have any league on tidbits for me. And uh, this seems like something where if, if the player's healthy, if they can get them for decent value, it, it could be great. But, uh, but there's also like a lot of warning signs as well. So uh, yeah, I, I don't really know how I feel about this. I mean, Salif Sané in his in his prime, he was something to watch. He was Senegal's starting center back uh, at the time. Big caveat there, though. In his prime is is. Hey, big that's why I say pre-injury. If you're talking pre-injury, big body. He was just he was dominant in the air. Anytime I watch him for Senegal or Schalke, um, he can play decently again with the ball out of his feet. You can tell that's a byproduct of playing in Germany, playing in a technical league. You know, for Senegal again, he was asked to play play out the back and never had any issues uh, with that. But question is, what version of Salif Sani are you getting? I think honestly, it's something where I don't know if the roster space is necessarily there uh, to make it. But it's one where if you can get him at a good price, one thing worth noting with the current Whitecaps roster build is that they're very young. And again, that's not a bad thing. Young, we're not you know in the nineties anymore where you need. Oh, experience. You need, you know, 38 year olds just to say they're there. You, of course, you want good experience. You want useful experience. But it's one where, especially look at center back, the white caps of what? Laborda, 23 year old, Resilinovich, a 23 year old, Blackman, the elder statesman at like 26. Uh, but is he really a center back these days? You got Karifa Yao, who's 22. You've got, you know, maybe you signed Daniel Crutzen who's again, 26, but he's new to MLS. You do lack a bit of a veteran head back there, so to speak. And if Sané can come in at a good price, I would be open to it just because of course you'd be curious to see how the body holds up. But you know, if you play him in the center of a back, you know, back three or back four, one thing is again, you look at the caps today again, they they do lack a bit of an aerial presence. A guy like Reiko Veselinovich is solid in the air, but he's not necessarily dominant in the air you see that goal today you do wonder if a guy like Salif Sané could have maybe cleaned out uh, a, a cross like that and bring that so it's a question of if he's fit if there's roster room for him just because again Axel Schuster was asked about he kind of threw cold water in the sense that he was like oh this is a DP player no way we sign him maybe that's just him bluffing and being like okay look like Salif like because they know each other that's the one thing that's important to know Salif Sané of course former Schalke player Axel Schuster, one employee of Schalke for a fair bit of time that overlapped with Salif Sané. So obviously they know uh, each other. It's one where if the price is right, I would consider it just because, again, the Cavs could always use more center back depth. We've said that many a time, especially, you know, say Ranko Veselinovic in the summer gets an offer from a big club and all of a sudden you're rocking with Karifa Yao as your starting center back. It would be nice to have 
uh, Silly Sané, which I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken on this one, Krifiyab does have some Senegalese roots. So I imagine this past week has been fun for him. And if they did sign, that would be a, a fun little duo for, from that perspective to learn from uh, Salif Sané. Uh, so again, I think it's one with the profile. If he's healthy, it's one that you you jump all over at the right price. But at the very least, I guess it's good to have him in camp and and have him at least around because it, 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 it's a sort of caliber of play we're not used to seeing come to Whitecaps camps and participate in, in, in Whitecaps environment. So uh, going to be interested to see where this one unfolds. I mean, for now, I'm kind of operating under the idea nothing's going to happen. But of course, we know that things can can uh, move very quickly. Yeah, it does. It feels like there's a bit of a um, and hearing from Vanny about it today. Obviously, you know, he's not the one doing the negotiations, but he's obviously part of those conversations as well. Um, it seems like there's a lot of posturing going on right now, right? Like Axel Schuster's acting like, oh, well, we we can't really bring in this player. And Sané is probably going like, oh, well, I'm not really going to sign here. But then, you know, there's a reason he's in Whitecaps camp. Like it's you didn't just choose it because it was, you know, the only available option. There's a reason he's there. So I think that it's just, are they, are they willing to meet in the middle somewhere with a, something that suits the player, something that suits the club. And, uh, and Vanny made a very big deal of, Hey, listen, like we need the full medicals. We have to really understand the situation and know what we're getting ourselves into. So I think that's still a big question mark as to how confident the club feels and, and moving forward, making a commitment to the player, um, if they're going to do that, you know, is he going to be able to to play? Is it a is it a grass only situation? Like these are all things they have to think about, right? Um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, I would I don't know. Maybe it's a 20, 25 percent chance something happens, but like I think that's that's great for the club that that they're at least entertaining the possibility. And yeah, I think they uh, big picture need they need to find a veteran head. To, to play center back. I think that's a good idea. It doesn't have to be this guy, but but they should bring someone. What's well, funny too is that I feel like this is, we just talked about the striker situation. It feels like this is the sort of signing they should have been making up front, like a player, like again, Sané is completely different profile to what they have, a bigger body, someone who can dominate in the air, someone who's solid enough at the feet, someone that completely, again, we look at all their center backs, it's, I guess Krifiyau is very good in the air, but you look at Ranko Veselinovic and Laborda, smaller, a bit smaller, you know, more uh, looking to to play agile, be good one-on-one. I do find it interesting. We talk about striker. This is, feels like the sort of signing where, yeah, even you bring in a veteran head who's, you know, in his 30s, but he's played at a high level just well, to push a guy like Brian Ty, White. Ty Kamara mm-hmm. is a free agent, right? I think. Certainly, he'd change the profile. Well, he's he's signed to Montreal. He's actually in training camp, but I'm sure oh, okay. he could be quiet. Maybe, maybe a, that was a couple. Uh, was that a couple of weeks ago that he was? I don't know. I remember seeing someone saying, "Oh, they should bring in Kai," because I feel like we get that well, every pick, year in Vancouver. Well, that's it. That's that situation is complicated. Like they picked up his option, but now he wants a trade out, so they're kind uh, of in no man's okay. land. He reported okay. to camp, so we'll see what happens. Maybe he just ends up going back into form at camp and he begs 10 for Montreal this year. It's kind of Kamara. I wouldn't put wouldn't be surprised, anything, yeah. put anything past him at this stage. But yeah, I just find it funny with Sané. It feels like it's one where I think it's again, center back. We've talked about, they could always use more depth there, especially look at maybe some of the unproven options uh, there. Uh, so 
I mean, all four, but feels like, yeah, it feels like if they could find a profile like that up front, like any, any Schalke players hanging around that uh, Schuster has that uh, can conveniently play number nine, maybe have a bit of, a bit of juice in their legs. <laughs> we, we'd be open uh, to hear it, but yeah, I guess going to be interesting to see where things go. Or heck, maybe a midfielder. We talked all this at length about number eights. If there's any number eights hanging around that could, uh, can do a job in midfield. But I guess other than that, a bit of news. I mean, I don't know how much you have to note about this. I did mention it there. Daniel Crutzen of Forge FC, three-time champion uh, with Forge FC, started in the final uh, last year, a, a CPL final in Ottawa for Forge. Uh, left-footed center back. He just recently got his Canadian PR, if I'm not mistaken. So he will count as a domestic should he sign, be it MLS Next Pro or MLS level. Um, he is Bel- of Belgian origin originally, v- very decent at playing out the back. He's a set-piece specialist, funnily, funnily enough. He's really good at taking penalties. Like He took all of Forge's penalties during their CONCACAF League run because uh, he's a bit of a penalty specialist. Um, solid player. I mean, good to see him there. Caps do need a left-footed center back. Of course, they lost Cornelius. Can never, you know, not. It's always good to have a left-footed center back. Now you do wonder if things are starting to be a bit log jammy, though in the sense that you've got Veselinovic, you've got Laborda, you've got Blackman, if you can count him there, you've got Yao. You know, you look at Campania as well, Mateo Campania, who looked decent in his minutes today, and you do wonder if maybe this is year where Vanny Sartini can really see him take a step forward. But I think it's good to see him trial because he did train with Caps too at the end of last year. So this is obviously someone they've been very interested in for a while now. So maybe just something to monitor. I thought he had a decent little shift here, 30 minutes, I think, in today's game at what ended ended up being. Thought he, he had, thought he had some good moments. So maybe it's one that if the price is right, maybe he goes to MLS next pro and is a bit of a, a veteran to to start there. If he wants that, of course, you have to consider that. And maybe you you have an eye on kind of pushing him up to the, the level as the, the season goes along. Because again, there's a chance that uh, Veselinovich could be on, on the way out at some point. And then from there, you're going to need options. Yeah, I'm going to ask the the CPL expert here. Like, what is his contract status there? And and also, what do you think, like, what kind of role would it take for him to want to make the jump? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the contract, um, I'm pretty sure his contract's up, if I'm not mistaken. Of course, I'm sure he'd revisit things with Forge. But for the most part, of you know, those the contracts are pretty short term. Um, but in terms of him... Like he had a bit of an interesting season last year. Only played three games because he got injured. Uh, he, he had an ACL injury the year before, then came back, suffered a nasty head injury, but then made it back in time for the uh, the last few games of playoffs. And he looked excellent. Like the five games he played this year, like every time he'd come in, didn't miss a beat. So I think it really depends with him. The one thing is with playing with Forge, a lot of those players have kind of accomplished everything they can't accomplish the CPL like again you've got your three CPL titles you've got had your CONCACAF league moments you've had your playing in the Champions League moments which to be fair he did miss out on due to his knee injury and maybe that's something he's missing but I don't know how much he'd have left to want to accomplish at Forge so it is one where I think maybe the right role the right you know financial offer could entice him so that's why I'd say it's it's one to watch just because the fact that he's already been in the camp twice if you count last year it's one that clearly there's some smoke there. So I'd say keep an eye on it. I'm just curious to see, okay, will will he be willing to accept an MLS Next Pro offer? Because it does feel that he could play at a higher level than MLS Next Pro. It also feels like at 26, he 
you know, he might be a bit old to play there. So it's a question of, okay, does he see the, the opportunity at the Whitecaps level? Or maybe this is a case where, hey, if, if I'm another team, like if I'm Montreal and you're potentially losing Kamal Miller and you need left-footed center back, maybe I'm one where I swoop in and be like, okay, I hope you enjoyed your trial with Whitecaps. Well, we want you in terms of Daniel Crutzen. So he's a bit of an interesting situation in that regard. Well, that's just what I was wondering. This is the thing about the the CPL vets. I mean, it feels weird calling like someone who's the same age as me of, of that, right? But uh, but that's what they are, realistically speaking. You know, it's just like, is MLS Next an attractive enough offer to to get these guys to make the jump? And obviously it depends on the situation, depends on if they think there's a chance to make the jump to the first team. But you you cited the log jam that the white caps might be getting themselves into at center back. And so I start to wonder, man, if there's no opportunity to play MLS minutes, like, is, is that the move you want to make? I just, I wonder. So we're, we're going to have to see, uh, hopefully he gets a move he's happy with. And, and yeah, I certainly think he could be a, a depth contributor for the white caps. If, um, if they get a deal done. Yeah. I think it's someone that if you can come to terms with great, but it's one also you do wonder if maybe the opportunity isn't there. He does have his Belgian passport. Maybe he goes to Europe and, you know, reseeks an opportunity there uh, somewhere, you know, maybe goes back home to Belgium or something uh, along those lines. Either way, it's one where good to see him in camp. Good to see the Caps finally starting to look a little more at CPL players these uh, past few months uh, in that regard, especially to sharp CB depth. Like we said, we we, we headed off into this offseason uh, saying we had names for them to look at. I don't, I don't know if Kretzen was on that list of guys we originally had. Probably um, a little they, a little on the old side, I would guess, to have met kind of our, our filters. Yeah, and I don't think he had fully had his Canadian status yet either. So now I think it's on where, hey, good little, good little piece of business at least to bring him in and we'll see what happens there. But uh, I guess lastly, speaking of, Caps uh, maybe looking for market inefficiencies uh, of, of a Canadian nationality. That leads us to the last uh, method of acquisition the Whitecaps have had over the last month, which is the Super Draft, the famed Super Draft. Came and went four rounds. It was an entertaining Super Draft this year. It felt like a lot less teams passed on players. The Philadelphia Union drafted a player, which is yeah. miraculous. Unfortunately, it took like four hours to do the first round oh, of the yeah. draft. Oh, yeah. It reminds me why I don't watch the draft anymore. It's more one where I follow along on Twitter while I do other stuff, because uh, if you're sicko and you want to sit, sit through, you're going to you're going to eat your afternoon watching uh, watching the draft. So draft caps made two first round picks. Uh, they drafted JC Nagando, uh, you know, French uh, midfielder number 10. Uh, he, he is um Jean-Claude Nagando used to play at Amiens. Uh, uh, is this correct? Yes, this is. Fifth overall, Generation Adidas, so what won't count against the cap. Uh, he played at UNC Greensboro. Um, he's a bit of an interesting profile, attacking number 10, what more of an assist uh, generator. Vanny Sertis sees him a bit of as either as a 10 or an 8. Um he was one of the high rated prospects in the draft. So the fact the white caps traded up for him was a bit intriguing to see. Otherwise in that they drafted a, a Canadian in the first round. Also one of the best Canadians, Levante Johnson, who narrowly missed out on winning the Mac Harriman award. 
uh, for, of course, top player in the, the NCAA. He was a finalist, but he was in his senior. He's in his early 20s, if I'm not mistaken, 22, I want to say. Uh, he's a forward, scored a lot of goals last year, and they picked him 29th overall, which is a steal. Many had him as high as top 15. Uh, he had 11 goals and six assists last year for Syracuse, which won the NCAA championship, it's worth noting. So uh, good to see them pick up a Canadian striker. Uh, and, and then from there, other than that, they de- drafted Daniel Nimick and Buster Schoberg. Daniel Nimick being a Canadian dual national, if I'm not mistaken, listed as English, but he's also he's Canadian in some form, if I'm not mistaken. So for the most part, the last two names, likely depth, if, we, if anything, last year was to teach us anything. MLS Next Pro Depth, great. Can never have too much of that with the roster turnover. You have to be excited with Nagando and Johnson. It does feel like Nagando might have to really start at MLS Next Pro level, like 100%, just because you have Vita, you have Gold, you have all these other names at number 10 you're going up against. You have Cam Habibula, who we can't forget about, is in camp for the Whitecaps. So it feels like maybe he goes to the MLS Next Pro level, plays as a number 10, goes from there, gets some confidence. Levante Johnson, a little more intriguing because we mentioned a lack of striker depth. He played today for uh, the Whitecaps. Obviously, that lack of striker depth giving him an opportunity. If he can run with it, maybe he starts here with his first team. And uh, then maybe if Ty Baribo comes in and uh, he ends up bouncing back between uh, the MLS next pro level, of course, because there's Simon Betcher signed to a pro deal. So intriguing pair of pitch picks. I think Johnson for me was the big one. I thought it was a good little uh, pickup for for the Caps. Get a Canadian who did well, especially for Syracuse. You've seen Kamal Miller. You've seen all these other players come through. Uh, Tejan Buchanan through the Cuse, or Cuse as they call them, program the Oranges. So uh, good to see the White Caps uh, look look Canadian for the, for the draft. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Johnson pick that, that felt like good value. And I think he just you know, if there's eligible Canadians that even remotely make sense kind of in your, on your big board, like you gotta, you gotta let it rip on those. I think the thing for me that uh, not, not that we need to spend a ton of time on super draft stuff, but leaves me a little bit confused is like the, the white caps who seem to be a, you know, now as an evolved club, like analytics profile focused roster construction, they seem to care about all these things and yet their super draft selections the last two years kind of leave me confused, right? Like you've got JC Nagondo, who's, you know, an international, 23 years old, in a position you already have too much of. Then you look at last season. I mean, you've got Simon Betcher, who, okay, striker now is a position in need. But again, like 23-year-old who sort of, feels like he's already sort of maxed out his his talent at the NCAA level. You just wonder how much there is there. Like, is he can he really take the step beyond MLS next and be like an MLS pro? And I was a bit surprised, honestly, they signed him to a first-team deal. And then even, you know, you look last year at a guy like Giovanni Aguilar. Um, you know, again, but international, you know, from the U.S., 24 years old. Like, I just – I wonder – if these are the right profiles to be targeting for the MLS next team, if these are the right profiles to, to take a step into the first team, it's interesting because it doesn't seem to match uh, the way the white caps have targeted players like at the first team level. So maybe they're just trying to build like a really strong MLS next team. And they think that fielding a competitive 
high level of competition MLS next team is the right thing to do to develop their young academy players. But I do, I do wonder about the super draft strategy and uh, you know, obviously it's tough with this drafting stuff. Like the, the results are often two, three years down the road. I mean, we only really saw returns on Ryan Raposo last season, but again, like he was drafted at a younger age. And so he had that time uh, with Betcher, with Nagondo, with an Aguilar, you can't wait three, four years because they're going to be 26, 27. So that's, that's where my concern lies with, with the strategy. Well, that, that's it. It's one where it's like, you kind of have to figure out a, a, some sort of method, I guess, with the super draft in the way of what do you lean for? Are you leaning for veterans that can help you right away? Are you leaning for veterans to help your MLS next pro team? Are you leading for younger players that are maybe a bit undervalued? Do you just go generation Adidas to save yourself money? Like, what do you go for in this regard? And I don't know. I feel like for the super draft, I mean, of course, personally, I'm going to, we're going to have differing opinions. Like for me, I'm just like, screw it. Go team. Like just draft all the Canadians. So at least if you're going to be the athletic Bilbao of Canada, you're just, throwing these kids in at the second team level they're cheap domestics um you're, you're letting them grow but also then there's also the point from the other perspective you'd like those canadians to go to american teams and shine especially because they'll count as domestics there so it's kind of a point of okay i'm good with that either way but if i'm the caps it's like why are we kind of you know why are you looking at giving these puns to, to to some players that it just feels like again you look like the since day one, they're almost doomed. Like, of course, you end up picking up your Jake Nerwinski's. Like, I'd say if you're making Jake Nerwinski style picks, great. If you're getting a Julian Gressel style pick, great. It just feels like, yeah, the last few years, they haven't really made those sorts of picks where you're getting players where at least there's a clear need. I think that's that's the big one, like a clear need. Like, you look last year, they bring in Simon Betcher. There just wasn't a clear need for striker. There was Brian White. There was Lucas Cavallini. Betcher has to go to MLS next pro level. And yeah, okay, now he's at the first team level. But it's one where you look at, okay, maybe you could have given Easton Ongaro a bit more of a go. You still have Lowell Wright. You have all these guys. It, it feels like one where if you're going to draft for a position like striker, could you have drafted someone maybe a bit younger than Betcher? Maybe a bit, you know, like a Canadian option just because you know that it's going to be more of a long-term project. Because I think if you're drafting 23-year-old Americans, you want them to be ready right out of college, right? Like that's, there's a lot of 23 you know, year old Americans that go and thrive and end up starting a lot for, for teams that, you know, even 22 year old Canadians. I think Alistair Johnson diving right into Nashville a couple of years ago. Uh, it just feels like the Whitecaps haven't really drafted for need, but they haven't drafted for potential and they haven't drafted for, it just feels like, yeah, there, there could be a bit more of a clear identity in that regard in the super draft. So I mean, hey, they're not, again, these are all solid picks. I think some of these guys, I, I again, yeah, Johnson and Nagando in particular should at the very least be contributors at the second team and hopefully Nimick and Schuberg as well, who's like six, seven or something like that. So uh, hopefully they can get some production out of there, but it's always just, yeah, been interesting to see this mixed MLS super draft strategy in the sense that if there was a clear identity, it feels like you'd look at some of the picks, like, well, you know what they're going to do. And you head into each super draft and it's like, <laughs> I mean, I guess just as a final thing to like illustrate my point of the the cautionary tale of the older international, like Javane Brown in his rookie year was like borderline MLS rookie of the year, massive success story. And now what you've got is a 23 year old who's about to turn 24 in March, who's kind of a, a fringe squad player, like 
he's organizational depth who might might start the odd match. And and that's like a a super draft success story. That was a good pick. So I just when you're targeting that profile, I feel like you set the bar really, really high for yourself. And it's like really difficult to, even if you make a good pick to actually get like great value out of it, it, it seems quite difficult. So I, I just wonder about that strategy. Ultimately, you know, the grand scheme of things, these things that seem important at the super draft time end up being completely irrelevant come match five of the MLS regular season. So uh, we're probably spending too much time on this, but anyways, we could, we could move on to the next topic. Yeah, I mean, it's one where, again, we're, we're the super draft sickos. We're the waiver draft sickos. We're the one who spent like half an hour breaking down the re-entry draft acquisition of Karifa. Yeah, this is this is what we uh, this is what we do. And it's, hey, it's MLS. So the thing is, good teams make use of these sorts of mechanisms. I was going to say, what did, we, what did we heap praise on during the season when we did our LAFC previews? How they use every avenue at their disposal to procure procure talent and to be creative, right? And to to maximize everything. And I just so I feel like for the white caps, this is a an area to attempt to maximize, even if it's just maximizing your second team. And I just wonder if they're going about it right way. That's that's basically my my soliloquy. And I mean hey, there's the reality that in terms of results, the Whitecaps traditionally haven't exactly been super draft savvy, if that makes sense. Like, again, there have been a few success stories, I think namely Jake Nowinski among them. But there's a reality that since day one, remember the the, the Omar uh, Salgado, you, me- you know, you, you remember Darren Maddox when you could leave guys like Darlington Nagby and, you know, some other Andre Blake, I think, was another name that uh, that was left that could have been a goalkeeper for a decade. You look at. You know, I think Julian Gressel as well was also potentially left. Uh, don't quote me on that one because I haven't double checked. Um, you know, there's this reality that you look at guys like Alice. They left a guy like Alistair Johnson undrafted. Of course, you could say a lot of teams left Alistair Johnson undrafted. That's a kid born in Vancouver. You'd think maybe that somewhere down the line they would have been alerted about the the kid born in Vancouver uh, that was that was making waves and Alistair Johnston. And yeah, there's just the reality that, of course, they haven't had a Tejan Buchanan, a Kamal Miller, a Dane Sinclair out of the draft. And of course, that's a high bar. Those are players that played at a World Cup. Those are some players that playing at the top level. But uh, there's just the reality that it feels like in the Super Draft, the Caps have done a very good job over the years of getting a lot of solid players. Like, you know, your your Jake Norwinskis, I think Javane Browns, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you'd like to see them... uh, you know, there's some value to be extracted there in terms of guys that can go in and help. And you can, again, if you're going to use it as a, me- a mechanism, I you use it either or you go full Philadelphia and you just trade them and get all the jam you can and at least use that money elsewhere. So, hey, it's one of those where it's a good point. Like, it's good to maximize every avenue available to you just because at the end of the day, you, if, if one of them hits, like, you save money elsewhere, especially in MLS. Like, your DPs you have to hit on. That's a no doubt. That's and the caps have done that. You've got your Gauls, you've got your Kubas is great. But the difference between good and great is that in this new MLS, it's your players five to twelve that are going to really decide if you win a championship. And at a certain point, there's only so much money to allocate on there. So if you can get a player who's number five quality in a super draft or off the waivers draft, then you're winning. And that's what teams that have been good or have done well. Again, you 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 look LAFC as an example. You use you can even use on the money ball side, you can use Montreal where they were able to get Mihailovic for cheap jam. They were able to get 
Johnston for jam. They were able to pick Waterman out of the CPL and get these sort of guys that started and played huge minutes for them. That's uh, Caps are going to need to to keep doing that if they're going to really replenish the the depth of their squad over the, the course of the next few years. Okay, well, that kind of brings us to moving forward. I mean, I hinted at this a lot over the course of the show, but just for formality's sake, the depends on when you're listening to this, obviously. But uh, the next fixture for the Whitecaps is this Saturday upcoming, the 21st, against Austrian side, Wolfsberger. That'll be at 7 a.m. Pacific. Not sure about streaming details yet, but certainly if we're, we're able to find the YouTube feed, uh, I'll be retweeting it. Alex will retweet it. I think, you know, like our guys at AFTN, everyone in the Whitecaps media community did a really good job actually <laughs> of pushing out awareness of where the stream was available. Despite the fact that the club did a terrible job, no official club, you know, advertisement, the fact that there was a free YouTube stream available to watch the match was a little bit strange, but uh, I digress. And then obviously, as I mentioned, um, previously, the Whitecaps traveling back to BC, and then they're going to be headed down to Palm Springs at the beginning of February, and they'll be there for a while. They'll be there until something like the 18th of February, playing five matches over the course of that trip. So, uh, and a bunch of MLS teams there. So it'll be a big, a big camp of them all together. And then looking even a little bit further than that, I thought something was interesting. I mean, obviously we knew this was coming down the pipe, but. Um, two of the first five matches of the, the supposed regular season that the Whitecaps will play uh, will be in the CONCACAF Champions League. Obviously, that got pushed back a little bit. So uh, it's going to be a strong start to the schedule for Vancouver, which, again, I think is why this extended preseason, a little more rigorous, is, is so important because they're going to have to hit the ground early. I mean, Alex, I I think about those Tigris matches far too often. The, the CONCACAF Champions League looms large um, and uh, you know, Vanny Sartini is going to want to put his stamp on that. So uh, it's all coming surprisingly quickly. I mean, any thoughts on the, uh, the runway here, the next month and a half, two months, and then, and then we'll talk about one last thing. The, uh, the very large gap on the front of the white caps kits. We'll, we'll finish off the show with that. Yeah. It's going to be a fascinating few months, I guess. Great preseason schedule. Again, it must be said, of course, Whitecaps get to Hamburg, get uh, Wolfsburger from Austria. Then they get DC United, Charlotte, TFC, St. Louis, and Minnesota. It's like a pretty good run of lists. Like that's what DC, they're a bit of a rebuilt team under Wayne Rooney. They made some intriguing signings, including Leeds midfielder Mateusz Klitsch. Look at Charlotte. They look like a team that's going to be massively improved after surprising uh, last year and almost making the playoffs. You got TFC, of course, and Senior Bernadeschi. Always going to be fun for that rematch. And then you got St. Louis. Uh, so could they see Jake Nowinski, Tim Parker, some old friends uh, there? And then, of course, Minnesota. So that's going to be fascinating to to see that. And then they start, yeah, RSL at home, San Jose on the road, Real España home first leg, FC Dallas at home, Real España away. That's a pretty good schedule, like, three of your first four games at home before heading out on the road. And yeah, the Whitecaps make no secret that I feel like this is a huge opportunity for them in the Champions League for a multitude of reasons. First of all, there's just the reality that they've got a fantastic draw, really. Like, again, you look at it, if they beat Real Espana, they get either Alajuelense of Costa Rica or LAFC. Typically, MLS teams have done well against Costa Rican sides in the past and LAFC 
of course, it's always a tough matchup. The Whitecaps historically have struggled against, uh, you know, LAFC, but, you know, a bit of a rebuilt, you know, rebuilding team in the sense of, you know, no Crepo to start the year. They've just lost bail. Of course, they sold a few pieces. You know, maybe they can catch LAFC. And, you know, you always back yourself against teams of your own league in the Champions League. So there's that. And then also on their side of the draw, it's either Olympia of Honduras, a team the Caps have beaten in the past and should beat. Atlas, of course, of Liga MX, always tough to beat Liga MX teams. But Atlas has uh, fallen off a bit after winning back-to-back titles. Currently this year, they're, they were 17th in the Abertura. So it's not like they uh, lit the world alight in the, the last time they were on the field. So again, that's... Amongst Liga MX teams, that's a, that's a team you'd be, you'd be happy to face. And then it's either Alianza, of, if I want to say, uh, El Salvador, or Philadelphia Union. Again, like, yeah, they've got two of the top MLS teams, as in the two finalists from last year. But, hey, maybe that tired them out going that deep. They obviously they both sold some players. And then amongst other teams, you avoided, you know, some of the teams on the other side, like Leon, uh, Tigres, uh, Pachuca, which are all on the other side of the coin. So no reason why the Whitecaps can, at the very least, they avoid any Mexican teams till the semis. And even then, they'd get a Mexican team that you'd probably want amongst those in the draw. So they could genuinely make a push to the final. Of course, I'm not going to say that's reasonable right now. But hey, they've got most of their roster intact. They're already playing with their first choice 11 on January 18th. They don't play these games till middle of March Things are set up very nicely then to have a hot start in MLS, a hot start in the Champions League. This isn't like teams last year where, you know, Montreal was, you know, the, the, you look at Montreal and how what, their situation, I think it's actually similar to the Whitecaps. They had a very, their most of their team put together in preseason. They came out of the gate strong in Champions League. Let's see if the Whitecaps can emulate that. And uh going to be interesting to see. I was going to say, I recall covering last season that uh, the Whitecaps do have to be cautious of, I think of Montreal, NYCFC, Seattle. Um, they all kind of struggled with this. They were having success in champions league, or at least, you know, competitive big matches, but their MLS form suffered a little bit. So Whitecaps, that's something they're going to have to balance uh, for the first time in a while. Um, and, and again, I just think everything they're doing in the preseason is at least, giving them the best conditions possible to hit the ground running and not suffer from that uh, dual competition slump that can happen where, you know, one kind of falls by the wayside because you're putting a lot of effort into the other. Uh, but okay. Last topic. I want to forgot about actually to start the show, but we, we got to put it on. It's, I mean, it's worth talking about big thing. The Whitecaps walking out of the, out of the building today, down the steps onto the field. Nobel logo on the kits. The hoop was empty, which just, it looked weird. It's, it wasn't the fact that it didn't say bell. It's just the fact that there was nothing there. Uh, it looked really, really strange. Uh, obviously the Whitecaps made an announcement about this, that they're, they've ended their relationship with bell and uh, they're, you know, discussing with partners to, to find a, a new sponsor. I wonder if this will be something we'll see on match day one of the MLS season, or if it's going to take longer than that, I would think the Whitecaps will want to have a deal in place prior, but you never know. Uh, my only requirement, Alex, and I don't know, you can share your thoughts is that the one thing about bell, you know, there's a lot of things I could say about 
what they've done in terms of TV product in Canada, what they've done in terms of radio in Vancouver, what they've done in terms of Bell Let's Talk and their track record with their employees. Like they, we can we could go on and on and on about <laughs> Bell. However, the logo, the Bell logo looked good on the kit. It was clean. It was, you know, it, it fit and it, and it worked. So whoever the Whitecaps partner with, I hope that it's, equally aesthetically pleasing because there's nothing worse than like a really really ugly sponsor on a jersey um or or something really obnoxious like um you know just the, that rep yeah i don't know there's just there's some really there's some silly uh kit sponsorships out there and at least you know bell bell was a lot of things but it, it looked good on the kit so i hope they they find something similar yeah, I mean, hey, and at the very least, if the Whitecaps don't end up with a sponsor for now and go the Colorado Rapids and uh, Inner Miami route with nothing on the front, I also won't hate that for a while just to, to for the kit purist out me in, in there. But no, in terms of sponsor, I mean, ultimately, hopefully they get something that helps the club. I feel like that's the main point, something that, you know, that will invest, I, I guess, be front facing, you know, really help promote. Hopefully it's someone that has a bit of a big reach in that regard, you know, to of course, continue to grow on that regard. If you're going to have a shirt sponsor, of course, you want them to tick all those boxes and yeah, something aesthetic. So going to be interesting if, to see what they go for. It feels like knowing white caps, knowing Canucks, not of course, very different realms, but just, you know, kind of same teams in the sports city. Vancouver's teams tend to go for safer, bigger options as sponsors to me, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think we're going to see anything wild, like a company that's only a year old or like, you know, we're not going to see any crypto or anything of, of those lines for, for the white caps. Like, I think it's going to be something that's relatively institutional. So yeah, I'm curious to see, like, do they stick with the phone company? The one interesting one I saw is that the pitch at, at BC place, I think got renamed from bell pitch to Telus pitch. If I want to, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe Telus is someone that's uh, around and, 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 and in the negotiations, if not, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, other various institutions, but I agree as long as it's nice, as long as it's a company with the relatively clean track record, that's all you can ask uh, for on that front, because uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, they're going to be everywhere on the kit, but you know, it, it's a sponsor at the end of the day. So we're going to be curious to see who they conjure up. It's fascinating just because it's something that doesn't happen a lot. Like it's, if anything, it feels wild because either it happens. Actually, that's a, that's a line in the sense it happens a lot at the European level. Like clubs change their sponsors all the time, but it rarely happens at MLS level. Like it feels like a lot of clubs have had sponsors forever, uh, and like there's some sponsors that are synonymous list with teams. So it's just unusual to see some you know change, especially for the Whitecaps. They've had this for eleven years, so just curious to see who they uh, who the who ends up being the the new sponsor. Well, it seems it seems like with Canadian sponsorships, it's always some kind of like, you know, pseudo government agency like banks, telephone companies uh, that that always seems to be the way they go. And I mean, ultimately, any of those corporations, there's there's skeletons in the closet. So no one's got a clean track record in that regard. But uh, but ultimately, yeah, they do make good, safe, sensible choices for these clubs. Right. They these are companies with pretty diverse infrastructure and, and also the money to kind of meet those sponsorship requirements. And I mean, you made a good point, Alex, it's not just the kit, like it's the, the aesthetics of the stadium on match day, right? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of bell stuff that was around. There's lots of bell features um, in terms of digital content. There's 
I think of the backdrop when we do interviews and it's, you know, the, a lot of these things that have been part of the identity of club that are going to have to change. And so I think that's very interesting and, and maybe not a terrible thing for a team that, you know, has had identity issues since inception in a lot of ways, right? Like turning a bit of a leaf, making a, making a step into the next generation might not be the worst thing in the world. So looking forward to it. Um, and also, is there, what are we getting? Is there anything in terms of kit this year? Do they, do they update the kit in any respect or is it just going to be white and blue hoop again? I, I haven't even thought about that. No, they're getting a new white kit. Um, that that is for sure. For some reason, Adidas has been just very late because yeah, it MLS feels like by this time, like normally we would know, right? Yeah, well, usually the MLS season kicks off in six weeks, like it's an early start. It feels like we would have heard something, but there are kits. The White Caps are getting a new white kit. From what I've heard, it's not. I mean, of course, we're gonna see how it is, but. I mean, from people I know who have seen it, they weren't 100% impressed in the sense. It wasn't like hoop. Like when the hoop came out, everyone's like, whoa, this is great. We're so happy. So if it's controversial no and debatable, I'm, I'm here for it. Like whether I love it or hate oh, yeah. it, I'm here for the discourse. So that's good. Well, that's it. So I'm like, I'm torn because I have no idea. Like I haven't been told if there's a hoop, if there's no hoop, what the heck's so weird about it. First, I do hope they keep the hoop again, keep a bit of a solid identity and tweak. So Interest to see, because of course these are these tweaks are made uh, two three years in advance. So maybe they had one plan and now they're looking like, oh, we regret that, or maybe the kid ends up hitting. You never know, really. It's all these kit. These kids grow on you. Like heck, remember the rain kit? Like that kit grew on me. It was ugly at first, but that oh, kit I love that's that's my favorite Whitecaps kit of all time. I think the rain kit. Wow, that, yeah. that's that's a, that's a fascinating uh, choice. I, no no love to see the sky. I think personally for me, see the sky mm-hmm. was just untouchable. Like that that's sure. un, that's s tier of a kit for, for the white caps <laughs> and they need to bring it back but yeah i mean it's going to be interesting to to see yeah they're going to get this new kit new sponsor new era i guess really of the the white caps in, in that regard and hey maybe that's what they need to to take that next step of course it's very metaphorical like, i don't think a sponsor is going to be the difference between them uh winning mls cup or or that but hey sometimes you just need a bit of a psychological uh facelift to to take that next step so of course the white caps will be looking to take that and curious to see again who ends up hitching their wagon to the white cap certainly for sure a lot of people interested to see if they will hitch their wagon to the white caps in terms of support this year so a lot a lot of a lot of interesting potential wagon hitching there but enough talk about wagons are what this wagon will roll on and we'll be back again very soon now that the games are rolling back in uh we'll we'll, we'll definitely be back uh sooner rather than later to chat more white caps really get in the swing of things as they too get in the swing of things they had their first preseason game today they're shaking off the rest we can say then the third sub for season four we shook off the rest today hopefully you guys enjoy it and uh great of course as always to share that chance with you so i guess on that note really i don't have much else to say so i'm gonna just sign off and let sam carry the the end of the 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 show there but uh you can find me on twitter alex gongaruzic at bts fancy bts vancity.com uh excited for for what 2023 can bring and uh excited to be back with the third sub for season four alex i wasn't quite sure where those those wagon metaphors were going but you brought it together uh yeah that was good <laughs> 
You can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at asusforever.com. Drop the post match. I mean, nothing really I didn't say on this show. So if you haven't read the article, you probably don't need to at this point, but hey, go check it out. We got lots of content on there. Anyways, coffee with caps, all of that. I'll give an early shout out to uh, guest starting 11 contests, something fun to get involved in during the regular season. Um, and I'll give a shout out to Alex as well. You know, go listen to uh, Northern Football if you want your Canadian footy fix. Great podcasting content there as well. If you're in withdrawal after the World Cup, always get the check out. And yeah, you can find our show in terms of socials at Third Sub Pod on Twitter at the Third Sub on Instagram. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back again, I would say, after the Whitecaps have returned from Spain, kind of in a transition period between Spain and Palm Springs, probably. And uh, yeah, hope everyone's enjoying the preseason. We'll be back again soon.